0: Well, we're wrapping up our series out of Proverbs. We spent this whole summer looking at the wisdom that God gives us through, uh, through the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bible, head over to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. I'm going to share a few things before uh, we jump into those first few verses. Uh, but what we're going to look at this morning is really about you and the person sitting next to you. You and the person that you work with, you and the person that you uh, go out to dinners with, you and the person that you talk on the phone with, the people you text with, it's your friends. It's the people that we do life with. And uh, I I hope, as as I do, I hope that you have at least a a group of friends that you would call close. And and if you do, we're going to talk about it. If you don't, we're going to talk about it and show you the importance of not just having friends, but the importance of having the right friends. My group of friends, we've been friends, close, close friends. It's a very close group, uh, several of us. And we've been friends since I was in the sixth grade. Uh, moved to that area when I was in the sixth grade. Started going to a church there. Got to know some of the the kids in the youth group, and then we went to the same school together. Lived pretty close as far as where our houses were. So from the sixth grade all the way through junior high, all the way through high school, even many of us, most of us went to the same college together. After college, we were in each other's weddings, and we still get together. I mean, we are truly best friends. And my wife is my best friend, just so we're saying that. But outside of my spouse which they are a far, far second, Becky. But we're, we're best friends. So what we try to do, because we're scattered all over the country at this point, uh, we try to gather someplace central just like once a year. And so we went up to Cincinnati a couple years ago and just everybody got together and got to check, hey man, how's your family? What are you doing now? And just it's neat to see each other about once a year at this point. And uh, something happened, I'll never forget. Uh, it was towards the end of the night, one of the guys was, was heading out, he needed to leave a little early and the house that we were meeting at has a very long, windy, dark driveway. So he leaves before the rest of us, and he heads out, uh, goes out, comes back in about five minutes later after he left, and we're like, "'Why are you back? You missed us.'" And he said, "'No, I really need to go.'" But my car had fallen off the side of the driveway. We looked at him, and was like, "'How did your car fall off the side of the driveway?' And again, to his credit, dark, windy, long driveway that he hadn't been to before, and he didn't see the turn, and so his right front wheel had just kind of tipped over the side, and being front wheel, he was just spinning his tire, so he's kind of teetering on this steep driveway off to the side of it. He's like, you guys have to help me. And we all look around, like, "What do you want us to do about it?" And he said, "We'll come out here and take a look." So we go out there, take a look, and sure enough, his car is kind of teetering on the edge of this driveway; front wheels pretty much off, back wheels are on the driveway. We're like, "Well, we've got to help. We've got to do something." And one of our friends—not me, just so we're clear on this—it was not my idea—and and one of our friends says, "We ought to just pick it up and move it over." And we looked at him, and we looked at the rest of us, and the car, and we said. I don't think that's going to happen. He said, like, oh, we can. He's like, you know, there's always that one guy in your group of friends that just, well, we can do it. We're good. For it. I mean, like, you're an idiot, but we'll try. And so we all get around the front of his car, and we just surround the front of his car, and, and we start lifting. I kid you not, we were actually able to barely, I mean, barely, I don't want to make this sound more exaggerated than it really was, but it was pretty cool. We lift up the front of his car enough to just sort of shimmy over, rotate it, and get at least the wheel close enough to the driveway where then he could drive off. And dude, I mean, you know this. Guys, when you're around your friends, when something like that happens, you just are the best person in the world. Like nothing could conquer you anymore. We're giving high fives and fist bumps, talking about how great we are. And you got to understand, none of us like ever played football. We're, We're my size. And so it was pretty amazing about what we did. And that's what we see in Scripture. Let me show you this. You're not going to believe this, but this is what it says. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, and then they can pick up a car. How cool is that? No, it doesn't say that. i would be neat if it did, but no. Look how this connects. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. We see two extremes here. The righteous choose their friends carefully. The wicked, they get led astray. When you're with a good group of friends, you really can do just about anything. You can get through just about anything. Not just picking up a car, but you can make it through life's tragedies, the crises that you deal with. You can make it through big decisions because you have a group of friends to fall back on to support you and to lean on. That group of friends truly allows you to get through anything. But on the flip side, if we don't choose our friends carefully, what did it say here? We get led astray. It's amazing what we can do with the right group of friends. It's also amazing how far we can get off with the wrong group of friends. We have the wrong group of friends. We get led astray, and that's when you start to look around one day, usually way down the road, and you start to say, how did I end up here? I never thought I would be here. never thought I would do this or become this person. It's because we had some bad friends lead us the wrong direction, and we weren't aware of it. We didn't have the good friends pulling us back over. Friendships are important. It's important to have friends, but it's even more important. It's vital that we have the right friends. Just surrounding yourselves with a bunch of friends to call them friends doesn't help. Scripture is very clear. The wisdom of God's word says the righteous choose their friends. And what was that word? How do we choose them? Carefully. Carefully. With wisdom, with insight, with discernment. With wisdom, we choose our friends. But the way of the wicked leads them astray. So it's not so much we need friends, we know that, but it's how. What's the filter? If if we kind of see in that passage the two extremes of carefully choosing or allowing the wicked to, the wicked and the bad friends to lead us away, how do we choose the right friend? What does it look like to choose a friend that is going to actually lead us in the right direction and is going to actually help us and and lead us in the way that God would approve. Proverbs 27, 17, a passage that many of you are probably familiar with, says this about the type of friend. Not that we should. Of course, we should have them. We need them. God designed us to have relationships and friendships. But here's some like the, the bar. Here's the criteria for what you and I should have as friends. Verse 17 out of chapter 27. Wisdom tells us, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. As iron sharpens iron, that's exactly what a friend should do. Friends should sharpen one another. And the closer your friends are to you, the sharper you should become. The closer your friends are to you, the the sharper they should make you because that's the biblical image of friendship, as iron sharpens iron. That's what happens when you have a good group of friends, a godly group of friends. It doesn't mean we're all perfect, but it means we're sharpening each other. We're better because we're friends. That's another way to look at it. Do your friends sharpen you? Are they they making you a better spouse, a better parent, a better child, employee, a better employer, a better student, a better artist, a better athlete? Go on and on and on to any of your environments, any of your retitles, any of your relationships. Do those friendships sharpen you? Do they make you better? If there's people in our lives that potentially or do sharpen us, the opposite would also be true. There's people that sharpen us and there's also people that dull us, aren't they? Go ahead and think of that person that just dulls you for a moment. Don't look to the left or the right, just look at me and just you have that in mind. And what happens is that person, they they wear on you and they grind on you and they seem to just like suck the life out of you. I'm not saying don't have anything to do with them. I'm saying you have to make sure that's not all you have in your life. Having those types of friends around you becomes very dangerous because it wears on you, it wears you out and makes us Dull. Dull is, it seems to be safer, but man, in the long term, it is much more difficult and much more dangerous even. Nobody would take a steak and say, hey, can I have a butter knife to cut my steak, please? No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But you don't have the dangers of the sharp knife, do you? No, see, we desire the sharpness that we gain in life by these friends. We desire to become better. We desire to become sharper. What we don't want is the dangers that come with it. Because as you have... As iron sharpens iron, as a friend sharpens a friend, as you have that sharpening process, that's oftentimes a painful process. That happens when your friend tells you something you don't necessarily wanna hear. That sharpening happens when they direct you away from something that you wanted to go towards. They redirect you. That's the sharpening process. In that process, those friends get a lot closer to you. And here's the thing is, as they get closer, they also have the potential to harm us a whole lot more. Sharp is a lot more dangerous, but it's also a lot more helpful. I've never told my kids to stop running with a dull object, ever. <laughs> I say, don't run with something sharp, right? Don't run with scissors. Don't play with knives. Keep the pointy end down because we have this instinct of, of fearing something sharp. And it's the same thing with Friends. We, we don't want the dull friends. We don't want friends that just drain us out and make us dull, but we're, we're also a little weary of the friends that would sharpen us. Well, if they can sharpen me, that means they could also hurt me. I don't want to be cut. I don't want to be stabbed in the back, but I also, you see what happens? And we get in this weird place of I don't want to risk everything and, and have super sharp friends that have the potential to harm and hurt me, but I also don't want the dull friends where they just wear me out. So what happens is we end up walking this line of mediocrity. Oh, now that's a great friendship. Don't you want to talk about your... Oh, man, we're best friends. We have such a mediocre relationship. (laughs) Boy, that sounds just wonderful. But that's where we tend to live because it seems safer. Well, they're not so close that they could really hurt me, but I'm not going to let the doll just totally dull me and totally wear me out. And we never fully jump in with both feet with a friend that is truly going to sharpen us because we're afraid of what could happen. We're afraid of of the conflict we're afraid of the the process of sharpening we're afraid of the potential to be hurt betrayed stabbed in the back stabbed in the front you name it we're afraid of that we know we shouldn't be alone we know that we don't want to live in isolation but we're not always willing to jump towards friends that would actually be good for us, that would actually sharpen us. So here's what I'm hoping we can do. We're going to look at Proverbs. How would you turn to Proverbs 18, like 20 minutes ago? We're right there now. Ready? Proverbs 18, verses 1 through 4. Here's what it's going to tell us. Through four verses, the first three especially, are going to give us some questions to ask to help us filter through the people closest to us, or the people that should be closest to us, the people that may grow to be closest to us. If we know we need to choose our friends carefully, that's what wisdom tells us, and we know that a healthy friendship, a deep, meaningful, godly, wise friendship is that of iron sharpening iron, friends sharpening one another. If that's what that picture looks like, we need to then go back and say, well, are the people around me that or are they not? We need to have some kind of a filter, some kind of questions to ask to help us discern, should these people around me be close? Are they sharpening friends, or are they dull friends, or are they just some mediocre friends? All of those are okay. All of those are okay to have, but you got to make sure that you have a few at least that are close enough to be that iron sharpens iron picture of friendship. Friendships are risky, period. And so what Proverbs 18 is going to help us with is kind of mitigate that risk a little bit to help us work with our discernment of who should be close to us. So look at it with me. Proverbs 18, verses 1 through 4. If you can't see your Bible because it's dark, I'll put them on the screen for you. Verse 1. Unfriendly people care only about who? Themselves. Unfriendly people care only about themselves. They lash out at common sense. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Verse 3 says, doing wrong leads to disgrace, and scandalous behavior brings contempt. And verse 4 kind of shows you another picture, another side to it. Verse 4, wise words are like deep waters. Wisdom flows from the wise like a bubbling brook. Now, those first three verses, like I said, those are going to give us this filter by which we're going to ask some questions that help us discern, do we have friends around us that should be around us, or do we need to make some changes? So here's what I want you to do That'll kind of help you walk through this. In your worship guide, write one, two, three. Just one, leave some space. Two, leave some space. Three, the number three, leave some space. Now, I'm going to give you three questions that is going to be that filter straight out of Proverbs 18. The first question to ask is, do they care about you? Do they care about you? If you look back at Proverbs 18, uh, verse one, says, unfriendly people care only about themselves. Only about themselves. They have selfish interest in the relationship. So you have to ask, do they care about me? Do your friends truly care about you? Now, we're very quick to say, yeah, of course, we're friends, we're buds. Of course, they care about me. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper into that question. Do they care about you as a person or do they care about what you bring to the friendship? And now that's important. We need to add value to the relationship, but is that all they care about? Do they care about you or just what you do for them? Do they care about you or just what you have in common? Is it just the fact that you happen to live next door each other? Well, I guess by default, we live next door, so we are now friends. What happens if you move away? Well, are you still friends? Is, is that a sharpening type of a friendship, or is that just we are acquaintances by location? Do they really care about you? Often, we mistake caring about us with caring about what we have in common. And, and that makes sense on some level because we become friends with people we have similar interests with and things that we do have in common. But we have to be careful because if those commonalities, if those common interests ever changed, are those friends still going to be our sharpening kind of friends? Before I had kids and even before I was married, I had a motorcycle. Actually, I've had two motorcycles, and I'm, I'm a, I don't look it, but I'm a biker at heart. I mean, I'm a wannabe biker. Maybe I should say it that way. And I loved my motorcycle. And uh, when I moved from Kentucky to California, Becky and I got married. I had my motorcycle, and we would just ride through the canyons together. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. Loved having my motorcycles. And what was really cool, really, really cool, this is probably the best part about riding. Any, real quick, anybody have a motorcycle? Any riders? We're going to have to change that. Come on, man. All right, so anytime that you're on your bike and you're riding, and I learned this very quick, and I thought this was the coolest thing in the world. I'll be, I'd be riding down the road, and another guy on a bike or guy on a bike would come driving down, riding down the, the other side of the road, and there's a sign. Do you, are you aware of this? There is a secret motorcyclist sign. So I would be riding, and when a biker would go by, you just give them one of these. You just give them these, these, like, two fingers on the side of your bike, and you keep going. You you don't do a, hey, we both ride. You don't do that. You do not do that. What you do is, as you ride, you just super sell You might not even do, like, the head nod. You, you could add a head nod, but don't do anything more than the head nod. That gets a little excessive in that world. So you ride, and you see another biker, and you just... And do the first few times I did that, it was the coolest thing ever. It didn't matter what kind of bike either of us had. It was, we got motorcycles. And it was so cool. You just felt like you were in. And it was awesome. I don't look like a biker, but being able to... It just was great. It was awesome. And so you're automatically just just welcomed into this biker world with just the two-finger little secret handshake thing. It was awesome. Now, here's what happened, though. I told you I had bikes, had, past tense. Then I had kids. And what had started to happen was I realized, you know what, having a kid on the back of the motorcycle is not very helpful and illegal, in fact. No, I never did it. Don't worry. But my wife was like, hey, we really, the bike isn't as as helpful anymore. It doesn't make sense. It's not as practical. There is something we really do need. And so some of you have heard me share this before, but I, 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 hang on a second. It's an emotional part of the service for me. I chose to trade in my motorcycle for a minivan. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Do not clap for that. Come on. I mean, I appreciate the support, but no. It's a moment of mourning. And so, but I didn't want to give up that biker at heart, right? So, so I'm driving down in my minivan, and I'd see a biker go by, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm one of you still. So I do the two fingers out of the window of the minivan. <laughs> Nothing! And I was like, I thought we were friends. I thought we were like a thing. And, and all of a sudden you take that motorcycle away and you change it for a minivan. My thoughts exactly, Collins. And, and you take that away and all of a sudden it's, it's oh man, I, I lost all of those friends. But that's what happens sometimes is we get close with people based on a commonality. And if that commonality ever changes or goes away, unfortunately those friendships tend to as well. So when I say, do your friends care about you? I mean, truly you, no matter what you have in common, nothing in common. Do they care about you or just what you bring to the table? Instead of just themselves, do they care about you? The second question I want us to ask is, do they listen to you? Do they listen to you? Second verse out of Proverbs 18 says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. They're only wanting to to talk about what they want to talk about or share their own thoughts, their own ideas, their own opinions. Do they really listen to you? And when I say listen to you, I don't mean a, "Uh uh-huh, yep, I'm sorry, what? It's not that. And it's not one of those, I mean, we all have friends like this, and bless their hearts, the one-uppers, where my wife and I, we just got back from vacation, and I have no doubt there's going to be somebody who like, oh, man, we went to golf Shores. It was great. Oh, yeah, I went to the Caribbean for three weeks. you're like, what? I was like, okay, well, my vacation doesn't sound so grand anymore. Some people just naturally want to talk about themselves. I do. I became a pastor, and it worked out great for me because I get to talk about me all day on Sunday practically. But you understand what I'm saying here is you have to have friends that truly want to listen to you. That they're not quick to give their opinions, they're not quick to even having to fix things. Now that's hard to find. A friend that will listen to you and not have to fix it and immediately say, Well, here's what you need to do, you need to change this, you need to do that, that they'll just listen to you. That they would just listen. It's a friend that when you, when you use the word fine, we all know what fine really means. It's the opposite of that. Hey, how are you doing? Fine. You need a friend that hears that and listens to that and says, okay. They're not really fine. And digs in and says, well, what's really going on? You can tell me, share with me, I'm listening. You need a friend that's truly listening to you. Do the friends that you have around you, do they listen to you? There's a story of Job in the Old Testament. If you don't know the story, fascinating story of a man, a godly man that experienced loss at an unbelievable level, truly lost everything from health, family, possessions, you name it, he lost it. And, of course, he's in just a a devastating a devastated state, and we get this, this short scene where his friends show up. And I want you to see this. His friends, by no means perfect, and if you keep reading through the story of Job, his friends do a lot wrong, but they did this right. Look at how they listened to Job. Job chapter 2, verse 11 and 13. You don't have to turn there. I'll put it up on the screen for you. When Job's three friends heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together, look at this, by agreement to go out and sympathize with him and comfort him. So they agreed as friends, saying, we've got to do something. And notice their motives here. It wasn't to gain anything. It wasn't to get anything. It was just to comfort him and just to sympathize with him. And they agreed on that. Verse 12, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. I wouldn't expect that from your friends, by the way. That's a cultural thing. That's an Old Testament. If you start asking your friends, man, you didn't tear your robes and put dust on your head for me, you're not going to have any friends. So understand, that's an Old Testament thing. But look at what they did. Verse 13, this is what transfers. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. That's great friendship. For seven days and seven nights, Job's friends just sat on the ground with him. They didn't say a thing. They didn't say, well, what'd you do? They didn't say, what happened? They didn't say, well, what are you going to do now? How can we help? When, you experience, when you're a friend or you personally experience loss and you have friends coming to you, no doubt we eventually have the thought of, what do I say to this? And we feel the need to say something, but understand we don't have to say anything. This was one of the best examples of friendship. They didn't say a word for seven days and seven nights. They sat with them. Do you have friends that will just listen to you? Do you have friends that will just sit with you and not need to voice and air their own opinions and their own thoughts or their own ideas? Do they care about you? Do they listen to you? Third question to ask out of this Proverbs 18 section is Do they inspire you to be better? Verse 3 says, Doing wrong leads to disgrace and scandalous behavior brings contempt. This is that sharpening part. Do they inspire you to be better? Do they do they make you a better spouse and kid and employee? I mean, you go through again the list. Do they make you better? Or on the flip side of this, do they make excuses for your bad behavior? Because so that's what verse three is mentioning. Hey, this is what scandalous behavior brings. This is what doing wrong brings. You need friends that will draw you to The godly path versus making excuses for the wrong that you're doing. The friend is not a true friend. If they just pat you on the back and say, everybody makes mistakes, it's okay. No one's perfect. You know, you really deserve it. You you Do what you want. It's okay. I'm here for you. That's not friendship. That's the wicked leading us astray. We need friends that bring us to what's right, even when we don't want to hear it and even when it's painful. We do not need people in our life that will make excuses and condone the wrongs that we do. Yes, we need a lot of grace. doesn't mean they're, they're judgmental on, on the wrongs that we've done. It's like, hey, you know that was wrong, right? I forgive you. Let's give you some grace, but let's get you on the right path. That's a true friend. And that's difficult, but we have to have them. Do they inspire you to do good? Do they inspire you to be better? And if they do, verse 4 ends up being a picture of this great friendship. Verse 1, 2, and 3 out of Proverbs 18 says, here's the, the wrong kind of friend where they only care about themselves and they only want to talk about themselves and listen to their own opinions and their own voice and they're doing wrong and they're condoning your wrongdoing. But verse four says, wise words are like deep waters. Wisdom flows from the wise like a bubbling brook. That's the kind of relationship we need. It's a different picture of it. And that's a picture of iron sharpening iron, of a friend sharpening a friend, where there is a wealth of wisdom that comes out. Doesn't mean you and your friends are the wisest bunch. (laughs) It means together you are better. It means together you you get to the right path. It means together you grow in your godly wisdom. If you want to know your circle of friends, ask your spouse, what am I like when I'm with those friends? You'll find out real quick if they're the right group or not. (laughs) Are we better together as friends or not? Do we have a wealth of wisdom that bubbles out of us because of our friendship and that God continues to bless it? I hope you have a few, one at least, friend that you would say, man, they're my my friend that sharpens me. Outside of your spouse, do you have a friend that, man, is that number two person in your life? Or do you have a group of people that you would say, man, I do life with, and, and, man, they help me get through the highs and the lows especially, and they sharpen me. One of those for me, and he was there when we did the whole cool car moving thing, but his name's Josh, and, again, we knew each other from sixth grade, middle school, high school, college together. Uh, even before I uh, married Becky, I went through an in-between job and apartment. So I actually lived with him and his wife for several months. And his, his wife has made it clear, you know, that was a very gracious time in their life for me. But hey, I appreciated it. It's, it's a friend that I knew I could go to anything with. Now he lives all the way up in Northern Ohio. I'm all the way down here in Atlanta. And we don't see each other very often. But what we do is we talk on the phone about once or twice a month. And it's the, hey, how's it going? Good. What's going on in your family? How's the work? How's your job? What's new? And then after we get through that in about three minutes, it's, what's really going on? What can I be praying about? And, and he is one of very few individuals, including my spouse, that I won't give a everything's good answer to. I mean, he knows the good, the bad, the ugly of Brian. And he's there to guide me. He's there to speak wisdom into me. He's there to pray for me. And I do the same for him. See, it's not the frequency by which we see each other. It's the consistency and the commitment of our friendship that's important. That's what we have to understand. It's not just that we see each other all the time, so therefore we must be friends. No, it's, it's somebody that sharpens you, regardless of location, regardless of frequency. Is there a commitment and a consistency that draws both of you closer to God? What's neat about Josh and I's beginning of our friendship, how it started, was we met because we both went to the same youth group and we just happened to be in the same small group in our youth group. And what's cool is that small group, no joke, that small group that we had in sixth grade was the same small group I had in high school. It's the same small group that we had in college. And it's that same small group that we meet together about once a year. Mountain Lake Church, I can't preach this enough. Groups are important. It's not my job as your pastor to make sure you have friends. Sorry. However, it is my calling to to shepherd what Scripture would call the flock, to make sure that there is spiritual health amongst the church. We can't do that without good friends. You need a relationship with God, and you need good friends. So no, it's not my job to make sure you have friends, but it is my job to make sure you have environments but which you can cultivate deep, meaningful, sharpening friendships. One way to do that is through groups. And I've heard all the excuses. All right, let's just call them out. And, and when I say, hey, you really need to be in a group, and I usually hear, like, well, man, we just don't have time. I get it. I get it. I mean, we've got kids, we've got things, and you know, we just signed Connor for another year of soccer. We'll see how that goes. I mean, I know, life gets busy. But it's not frequency, that's important. If you can do a group once a month, do it once a month. Guess what? Your pastor does not have a group that meets every single week. We don't, because that just doesn't happen. (laughs) No, we we meet about every other week about three times a month. Because we know life gets busy. It's not the frequency, but it's the commitment and the consistency. You, you tell me what your family's availability is, I will make sure that we have a group that's, that fits your schedule as best as we can. And if not, I'll let you lead a group, and we'll find people that can come to your group. Find a group. So the time shouldn't be as much of an issue because we'll work with whatever time and availability you have. I also get the, man, it's really awkward walking into somebody's house, and I don't know them, and what if we don't like them? So I'm going to say something really nice, really compassionate, and as shepherding and as pastoral as I can in regards to the awkwardness. You ready? Get over it. (laughs) You'll be fine. All right? You made it through middle school. You'll be just fine. And if you come in, you tell me, Brian, we really, really don't like the people in that life group. No problem. I'll get you into another group. And then if you come back and say, Brian, we really didn't like the people in that group. I'll move you again. If you come back, man, I really don't like those people. I'll say, okay, now it's just you. So... How about you start a group and we'll see if people like you will get you in there. It's fine. You'll be fine. Get over it. It's going to be helpful. It's going to be healthy. It's going to be great. What if you don't have anything in common with the people there? You will have one thing in common with every single person in your group. You want Jesus in your life. You may not do it the best. You may not know exactly how to do it, but you desire Jesus in your life. And that's what our groups are for. Friendships and growing closer to Jesus. So after service, myself and our group's pastor, Matt, we're going to be out at the hello tent. We've got two tables out there. Groups don't kick off until September, but if you are interested, doesn't mean you're going to be in one, but if you're interested, give us some information and we will get information back to you about about our groups. Also, another option for you, another environment for cultivating those friendships is through serving, through our MLC MLC teams. That's what that love all, serve all is all about. When you are working um, side by side, shoulder to shoulder next to somebody in any of our ministry areas, you're going to become friends with them. And same thing, if you don't like the people on that team, I'll put you on another team and just like groups, we'll eventually figure it out. But be in a place where you are, are doing something, you're doing life together. You cannot have great friendships sitting in here listening to me. You understand that? You cannot have meaningful, deep, sharpening friendships sitting in here listening to me. It happens outside of what we do here once a week for about an hour. So get in a group, get on a, a surf team, do one, do both, do something that gets you in an area where you can truly have friends. Last thing I wanna tell you, friendship is a two-way street here. So those three questions that I had you ask about your friends, do they care about you? Do they listen to you? Do they inspire you to be better, to do good? You need to ask those about yourself too. As a friend, do I care about them? As a friend, do I listen to them? As a friend, do I inspire them to do good? Do I inspire them to be better? It's a two-way street. We have to make sure that we are being the friend that we, would, that we desire friends to be to us doesn't matter if we have anything in common or not. The disciples are a great example. Jesus had his group of friends, his 12 disciples, and they were very different. They came from all different backgrounds, different professions. They did not always get along. They did not always agree, but Jesus taught them how to sharpen each other, how to not just get along, but how to work together and how to continue following God together because Jesus knew, hey, I'm gonna go away and you're gonna have each other. And I've got a big job for you. It's called starting the church. And so he had to teach them to sharpen one another, continuing to follow God, even when he wasn't physically there. And to kind of solidify that, Jesus spends one of his final moments with these disciples. And he shares a meal with them, what we now call communion or the Lord's Supper. To them, it was the Passover. And he's sitting around this table with his friends, his disciples. And he says, basically, I want you to remember me. Don't remember everything that you have in common. Don't remember everything you don't have in common. Don't think about your differences. Think about one thing, me. Remember me, remember my sacrifice. 1 Corinthians actually lays out this account, but it's from Paul. See, Jesus gave this to his disciples and the disciples began to spread this tradition of communion to the early churches and it's still what we participate in today. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, as often as you drink it. Verse 26. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup... You are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. What a great image of friendship, not just between us and Jesus, but the community and the unity of one another. And at the very root of us and our friends is Jesus, is Jesus. Yes, may they care about us and we care about them to listen, to truly inspire, to sharpen. But the best friends are the ones that have Jesus At the root of it. The best friendships have Jesus at the root. And as a church, as a group of believers, as a group of friends, on different levels of friendship, we're going to participate in communion this morning. So right there in the cup holder next to you, there is uh, the communion packet. The first first layer, the first wrapper will expose the cracker that represents Jesus' body. The second wrapper peeled away will expose the juice representing Jesus' blood. And just as Jesus told his disciples, as Paul instructed to the early church, and as here, as we're doing this together, may we remember Jesus, what he has done, but also the promise that he gives us. Let me pray for us and then Meg will lead us in a worship song as we continue to have community with Jesus and one another. Jesus, thank you so much for your friendship, but also your sacrifice Thank you that in this moment, we remember what you have done and what you continue to do. Thank you for the people gathered together in this room, the people we have friendships with, the people we have relationships with, that we are unified only because of your name. As we remember you, may you continue to strengthen the relationships we have with you and those around us. In your name, amen. As we sing, let's take communion together.
1: tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone, your presence Lord oh There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. Your living hope. your prayer. Tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your